The point is to be present to your life and in the transition of your identity and who you are becoming and allowing things to come to you, energetically attracting what you're meant for in the next version of you and allowing your baby to lead in that way. There is something deeply profound about that that I think so much of us miss out on because we're so hell-bent on being in control and making shit happen. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Hi, friends. You may notice this is not Alexa. This is not even a woman. I'm a man, but not just any man. Alexa's hubby, hubba husband of a man, Jordan Marie Spoutich. I'm here for a few reasons. One, obviously to intro the show. But before that, I want to share with you my year-long men's group, Unstoppable. It is my favorite thing to do in the world. It's so much fun. It's playfully sincere. It's transformational. A group of guys getting together, sharing brotherhood, doing rites of passage and becoming better men in all areas of life health, wealth, relationships, and beyond. You can find information about that on my Instagram at Jordan Bowditch, last name spelled B-O-W-D-I-T-C-H, Bowditch. Uh, The other thing I want to share is Lex is on a sabbatical right now, a bit indefinitely. We're still keeping her in the loop and things are moving along, but we've had some really challenging occurrences in our life, in our personal life. And so, I and the team are taking over anything and everything that we possibly can to give her space. And if you want to know more about what's been happening in our lives, we are sharing it uh, on our social media as well as our newsletter. That's where we're really digging into it. So if you go to sexandlove.co.co, not .com, you can subscribe to the newsletter and we're really digging into it there and we would love to share it with you. Those things aside, this podcast with Kelly Moore, I love that woman. She is so special. She's truly one of a kind. Her husband is also a homie who I very much love. And in this episode, they talk about lots of things specifically around being a mom and the emotional challenges of birth and after birth and how does one maintain MILF status If you don't know what that means, I don't know how you've made it this far in life, but Kelly and my wife, Lex, uh, talk about those kinds of things, and I trust you will really enjoy it. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. See y'all later. I would like to freeform with you if it's cool. (laughs) Here for it. (laughs) Um, Which I normally don't get to do. So this is like a catch up because I really just want to have a talk with you that the rest of the world gets to hear. Um, right. So want to write a book. That's definitely a, a thing. It's like nudging and it's come through really big. And my intention was to write it while pregnant. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to have all this time. I'm going to be slowing down. It's no big <laughs> deal. Like it's just going to come out. I'm going to be a pregnant goddess. Um, and then what really happened was that I had to take multiple naps. I was angry at everything, irritated from the inside out. Um, one Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so much Chick-fil-A. But I only had one. I only had, I only had it once. I've only had it once. 
you know? Oh my God, that's impressive. I know. And numerous movie dill pickles, like have even stopped at the movies to get one for the drive and I didn't go see a movie. So I like that cliche, pregnant woman. I was just like, oh, do you want pickles? Yes, I actually do. I'd like to drink the juice and like leave maybe half the pickles in it. Oh my but God. Connor yeah, literally I, asked me the other day, he goes, how's Alexa doing? I'm like, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure she's eating a lot of pickles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was one of the things that before we knew that we were having a boy, you know, people would ask me questions and try to figure it out. And they'd be like, well, tell me, you know, how are you feeling? And I'm like, well, well, the first first someone was like, like I I could tell you were having a boy because your face is round. I'm like, thanks. You're carrying it in your face. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm gaining weight. Yes, that's what happens. You are correct. Are you telling me <laughs> that all the other times that I've gained weight and and it did like it it could choose to go to my face or not go to my face? It went straight to my jowls, like straight to my chin and my neck, <laughs> um, and certainly my tits, but. But anyway, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, I could tell in your face it's round. I'm like, all right, cool. They're like, tell me, you know, like what else is happening? And like, I could almost care less about sweet things. And mm -hmm. I want to eat all the salty savory. And they're like, okay, that's a boy. You know, like little girls are sweet and little boys are salty. I don't know how true that is. I don't know either. I feel like I wanted both. You just wanted Everyone to eat. looked at me when I was pregnant. For those of you who don't know, I have a daughter. Um, but everyone looked at me and said I carried like I was having a boy because I carried super low and I'm really tall. I'm six one. And so yeah. I didn't gain a ton of weight outside of my belly. Like from the back, you couldn't tell I was pregnant, really. Um, I was a little wider, but I carried like I was having a boy. I mean, and according to the we are. old wives tales. Yeah. But I did the little, I did the put a ring on a piece of hair and, you know, <laughs> do it over your belly. That was a girl every time. I, I have a pendulum. That yeah, has said, pendulum. thank you. That has said, boy, every time as well. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So I guess like maybe with a girl you carry everywhere. Is that the thing? Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm yeah, currently my, carrying my everywhere. Every everywhere. single part of me looks pregnant. Yeah. I had three chins. That was really fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm only 17 weeks at the point of this recording. And like, I've kind of looked about this pregnant since about eight weeks, but you know, mm -hmm. that was bloated. That was like being bloated at the beginning. Like, just like, yeah. it, like felt like my skin was going to explode so tight, bloated. And now, and now I think it's the baby. Yes. Yeah. I just, um, you started. did pop early. I, the first picture I saw was like, damn, her body popped. Everyone's well, so different. Isn't that funny? It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, at first I was like, it just looks like I'm holding in a trapped fart. Like for, like, I just, <laughs> you know. That is not what I thought, but sure. That's what I saw. I'm like, you just look like you need to go poop, but you can't. Yeah. Like, yeah. but I am like it. it yeah. It was weird. No, people saw, um, we went to Florida. That's when we did our gender reveal. Like, you know, our Funniest friends. Funniest gender reveal ridiculous. of all fucking time. Michael and JP, are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. And we didn't know any of that was going to happen. And they actually didn't even know what the gender was because they, oh. at the end, like Adi was the only one who knew, you know, our friend Adi oh, that's even better. was the only one who knew. It. Yeah. So we went there and I was like eight or nine weeks and people were calling it from the pictures then because like I was just so bloated around the middle. Yeah. And my, and my tits got huge immediately. But you know, like, like your boobs swelling right before period. Yes. But they just didn't go back down. They just like mm -hmm. kept going. Yeah. After that. Yeah. 
So I think people, people knew pretty early on, but I would wake up in the morning, it would be kind of flat. And then by the evening I would look like full on four to five months. Totally. And, and you know what I just had <laughs> my first person comment to me or say to me, and this is somebody that I know too, but like from a different country, whatever. Um, I posted a picture. So my friend Carly, I don't know if you know, you know, Carly Bronner. Yeah. Um, she was like the baby. I was like, oh, the baby's the size of an onion, a large onion today. So she hands me an onion. And she takes a picture of me. But the way that I'm sitting in this chair, I like look scrunched kind of. And so like I look extra pregnant. I'm like, I don't look that pregnant when I stand. She takes a picture and I'm like, oh, it's not my most attractive, but it's cute. So I'll just post it on my backup account because my regular Instagram account is in jail right now. So I post it and then I have somebody go, Oh, are you sure it's not twins? <gasps> <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with people? I do not understand. <laughs> it's just Who like, thinks that that's okay to say to somebody? She, and you know what's kind of funny? I mean, it's really funny. She's also pregnant. <laughs> like, like, further you know, than I me. will say, <laughs> I feel like it's almost like, oh, well, I'm pregnant too. So I can say these things. And it's like, no, but that's not okay. Like just because other people are saying it to you and whatever, I don't know. I like, I don't want to tell, I don't, I'm not the like language police, but I also, I'm just, I don't understand what goes through people's brains. It's kind of like, I, I, there's a number of things that I've even had to catch myself saying, because I've never thought what it could feel like to the yes. other person, you know? And then I say it and then I'm like, I don't think that feels good, but I didn't realize that I would say that thing. And you know what I mean? And so when she was like, it gets even a little bit better, just a little bit better. She's like, wow, that's a big belly. Sure. It's not twins, you know, because she hasn't had a scan yet. And she's like 20 weeks. Mm. And I respond, or I'm just a curvy lady that has one baby boy. And, uh, and then I like playfully, I'm like, you know, my mom and my sister carry like this too. And, um, like we just got one. I'm like, I already have had a scan. There's one little boy in there. So she responds, one big baby boy. <laughs> and I go, I go, wow. I go, no, just like one normal sized, like one normal sized baby boy in there, hopefully, you know, but, but doesn't, doesn't know. And so like a part of me just like, and now it's, it's kind of making me giggle. And I've like said yeah. it a couple of times where I'm like, this is making me giggle because I've got friends that are also like kind of long and slender that were like, when am I ever going to start showing? But to me, I'm like, you're showing right away because they're so long and slender. Right. And then like from eight weeks, me, and I like look in the mirror, I'm like, this is impossible. Like this, that's actually impossible. Like the, like my uterus is still inside of my pelvic floor, like inside of my pelvis, like this, how does this look like this? And then I'm like looking at uh, like uh, Instagram reels and different things that like Instagram is showing me whenever it was my regular account. And it's in its reels of women that got huge, like really, really big that just like have a lot of amniotic fluid or whatever their things are. And they're like showcasing just how big they got. And then I'm sending them to my friends. I'm like, this is about to be me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be that. And they're like, stop, Alexa. But as I've now progressed, it's not it's not growing at the same rate. Exactly. Like it like popped out and then just kind of, it's been, it's been hanging there. Yeah. Well, I kind of like you, cause you've, you gained weight, right? You, didn't you say the other day, like you've been gaining a pound a week or something? Oh yeah. I'm at almost yeah. 20 pounds and I'm almost 18 weeks. Yeah. So I was similar. I gained a ton of weight in the beginning, even though I was throwing up so much. I threw Were up my really? whole pregnancy, but a oh, lot, no. like the first half. 
I was also, we did IVF. So um, as you know, but for people listening, we did IVF. So I was on hormones through 10 weeks pregnant and then had pregnancy hormones. So it just made me really, really sick. So I don't know how I gained weight so fast other than I ate so much fucking Chipotle um, and maybe my body absorbed it before I threw up. (laughs) I'm not really sure. (laughs) I ate so many Chipotle burritos last year. (laughs) Well, it's kind of like, you know, people who have bulimia, they don't, it doesn't necessarily equal skinny. Because Correct. they're eating and they're absorbing the body, their body's absorbing the, the calorie intake before they yeah, throw it I out. waited. Yeah, I waited just long enough, but I gained 12 pounds like in two weeks. I, it was like an absurd amount of weight. And then it sort of tapered off. I ended up only gaining 25 pounds my whole pregnancy. And at the end, I was like, shit, am I not gaining enough weight? Like I'm, I'm eating so much. And, you know, I was very active my whole pregnancy for the most part. But I remember being like, are you supposed to gain weight this fast? And it was just like, I think my body was trying and maybe this you know you feel the same way my body was like i need more weight i need more weight to hold this baby and to be healthy so like we're just gonna put on the pounds right now and then i think it helped i don't know maybe i i need to have a conversation with this body though (laughs) what are we doing you don't need it you don't you think (laughs) you need it you don't need Mm -hmm. let's inspect this word need yeah. You've you know, met. one day all of a sudden I wanted salads again and I was like, praise baby Jesus. I need some right. lettuce in my life because if I eat one more burrito, girl. No, I did. If it was wrapped in a tortilla um, or I could dip it in ketchup or it had pickles on it. Like that was like, that's been a whole thing. I have less. I have less like drive, like aggressive, desperate. I've got to eat right now. And it has to be an entire meal every two hours. I've let that's gone. I'm grateful for that, that that's gone in, in second trimester. And now it's um, like round ligament pain. And um, yeah. just like if I move too fast or I sneeze without bracing, girl, I sneezed the other day. Did you pee yourself? I was caught so off guard. <laughs> what the fuck? Mm-mm. Like, it's way too early for that, right? No, um, not necessarily, not necessarily, but especially you know, if you are gaining more weight, I feel like it starts to add more downward pressure earlier. And so it makes the pee pee come out. I literally laughed out loud. <laughs> I was so uncomfortable. It was, it was right before I was going to bed too. So I was like, thank goodness. I actually might've been wearing this jumper. It was at my retreat. I was sick. Mm-hmm. I had an upper respiratory. So I finished first trimester and immediately went into like a gnarly sinus infection, upper respiratory infection. So like I started to feel better and then I felt really, really, really worse. Um, and I'm on the other side of it now, still a little bit of a cough, but I was at my retreat, super tired, run down, sick. And I'm in the kitchen and I'm just trying to like get my water, get ready to go to bed. And my sneezes at the time were so aggressive and, and, and they would just come out of nowhere you know, and, uh, and I sneeze and it just like sprayed really like kind of hard, but like, just for like, like a, like a little tiny fraction of a second. (laughs) And I just stopped and I laughed. (laughs) Which made you pee more. (laughs) No, I didn't. I didn't pee anymore. And then I was like, like we practice, we breathe. I know how to Kegel effectively. I teach these kinds of things. You know, I've, I, I know like conscious breathing and connection to pelvic floor. And like, I had a moment where I was like, oh no. Oh no. So I'm probably going to, I'm tracking it. If I don't do it again, I'm just going to call it a one-off. It was the Mm -hmm. the combination of the circumstances. If it happens again, uh, I'm going to go to a PT. I'm probably still going to go to a PT. Yeah. So I have a bladder prolapse. So yeah, a part, a big part of why I want to chat with you on on the show and like I'm bringing you back on the show is because I want to hear how things have been since. 
and just like the process like we haven't stopped haven't really spoken about it yeah also we totally got off topic and forgot to finish your book conversation well so it's it's still an idea okay yeah i've got this idea and it's a really great idea and i can't wait to do it and hopefully i'm gonna start writing it soon now that i'm through the first trimester but you know i'm gonna blink and then it's gonna be time to like prep for birth so who knows? It's not going in. It's not going away. Like the idea and the message and everything isn't isn't going away. So good. Well, I love that. Um, yeah. So bladder prolapse, <laughs> not fun. Literally feels like your bladder is coming out of your vagina. Mine did not pass the yeah. Mine did not pass the threshold, so it's not actually hanging out of my body. But I can literally stick half of my top of my fingertip inside of myself and I can feel it pushing um yeah and it's just like protruding into like the vaginal canal I guess you would call it no and I didn't have it at first but very long story short for your listeners if you would like to hear our entire psycho ass birth story you can go listen to okay babe Connor and I did a 90 minute episode on this but I will not bore you all to repeat it basically I was in labor for six weeks Roe was trying to come out. I literally was in labor every other day at home. We had planned a home birth, unmedicated, the whole woo. And finally, my water breaks after we, um, what the fuck is it called? Do the castor oil, induce at home. And my water breaks. And then I go into full labor at home. The whole birth team is there. Eight hours later, shit ain't happening. So I have to go to the hospital. They test me. They're like, you have no fluids left. You know, we need to like move forward. I was already 41 plus weeks. So go to the hospital, end up getting every drug under the sun. They have to manually flip her because she's sunny side up. I go into horrible back labor, which is why I end up getting an epidural. I wanted to die. Worst pain of my life. I mean, you you know all uh, the things. So yeah, I yeah. would not normally tell this to a pregnant person. However. No, I listened already. I know about it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you are pregnant or don't want to hear these things, don't listen anymore. Come back in 20 (laughs) minutes. (laughs) So anyways, uh, get the epidural, do the whole thing, finally get to the point where we're pushing or no backtrack, get the epidural. Um, I'm still not progressing. They're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I thought I was four centimeters dilated a month ago. And so we the third midwife comes in and she's checking me and she goes, did you have elite procedure? And I said, yeah, LEAP procedure is for HPV. I had the procedure when I was 25. They basically go in and freeze or burn off any cancerous cells internally. And so I had that procedure and it left a ton of scar tissue, which is why I ended up being in labor for six weeks um, because the scar tissue was keeping me from dilating and it felt like I was hitting a wall. So she clears the scar tissue. I immediately dilate five centimeters. A couple hours later, I am full on pushing an hour and a half later, Roe comes out. Seemingly everything's fine. 20 minutes later, I start coding. I'm fading. I have a full-on near-death experience. I lose almost all of the fluids in my body. Have to have a three-bag transfusion, emergency surgery. They save my life. Everything's fine after that. But my healing from that, I know I'm like so nonchalant about it now. It's funny. We've but my said healing it many times. Yeah. And I've yeah. done a lot of work already. Yeah. Um but my healing was just a lot more aggressive and intense because of that internally. Like they said, you cannot get pregnant for at least 18 months because you look like you have a C-section internally. It is so bad. 
because they had to not only go in and do surgery and I lost all my fluids, but they had to rip my placenta off of my body. Apparently because Roe was in the birth canal for six weeks, her head, it adhered the placenta to my body. And so that's why I couldn't birth it. It was literally stuck to me. So they had to go in and like rip it to shreds. It came out in all these pieces. My whole like placenta encapsulation dreams went to shit real quick. Connor was like, you didn't want that. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't going to work. It was going to make you sick. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so I had that. And so the internal healing, it was just a lot more intense and uh, just a lot of bleeding and stuff. But then like two weeks after she was born, I got really fucking constipated Mm -hmm. to the point where I've never said this. I don't even think I told Connor this, but you're welcome, everybody. Okay, great. I stuck my finger inside of my butthole to pull the poop out. I've done that. Dude. I've done that. Impacted. You were impacted. I had a really bad impacted stool. Yeah. It's some of the most painful and so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I dealt with years and years of constipation post gallbladder removal. And so I've just gotten into some positions where I'm like, if I don't, I've like had to breathe through it and be like, if you don't do this, like you got to go to the hospital. Yeah. You know, like you got like, I couldn't bear down because I had nine stitches. Well, that's where we're different. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I would try and bear down, but then everything hurt because I was still, I mean, my stitches were very much intact still and I was still super swollen and I was just like in the bathroom crying and I was like, I have to do it, but it still like wasn't coming out. And so I dealt with that for like a week and then I was in extreme pain in my stomach one day and I ended up having to go to the ER. I had to leave Connor at home with our three week old baby and I'm pumping in the ER and I can't figure out what's wrong. And I'm like, I think I have a prolapse, whatever. The doctors have no idea what's going on. Of course, they're not like well-versed in prolapses right. and they're postpartum. Like, Miralax. Yeah. And then, so they send me home and you can feel my stomach is rock hard because the stool, you can feel it in my whole colon. Oh no! And so then I finally, I get um, sent to see another midwife and she, she literally does an internal exam and she's like, do you feel that right there? I said, yeah. She goes, that's your poop. I was like, what? She goes, girl, you have so much poop stuck in your body. I was like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm constipated. Anyways, yeah, she gets me on the Miralax. I'm in PT. I start using cups. I start getting colonics. I finally start regularly pooping again. Thank God. But moral of that story is that I was bearing down so hard. I caused my prolapse postpartum from being fucking constipated. I think it like started with the birth and then, but it was okay and not that bad. And then I literally pushed it down from being constipated. And you know what I think made me super constipated? (sighs) FYI for anyone that is pregnant or postpartum, brewer's yeast in the lactation balls. Really? Yes. I so looked, looked it up. In, Apparently looked it up causes the... severe constipation. No fucking way. Nope. Yeah. Nope. So here we are. So I've been in pelvic floor therapy. It's July. That's the first week of July recording this. I had row January 4th. I've been in PT since February, I think. I am finally like really feeling relief. Connor and I have had sex twice this week. I had no pain, no discomfort. Um, And we started having sex at about five weeks, which was insane. But I was like, I need something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was more me than him, which was hilarious. But um, yeah, I'm finally like feeling relief. I'm feeling more connected. I'm able to work out and do everything. Now I can squat, deadlift, row. I can do more 
like core workouts and not be in extreme pain. I don't feel you'll you'll feel this after you have the baby, but your your yeah, stomach feels sick. like mush. You know, it's supposed to because you just had a baby. Right. But the mush is st- finally starting to feel like strong again, which feels really nice. It feels like my my lower abs and my upper abs are connected again because they felt like two separate entities. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it's been like a long time and a lot of just slowing down and not pushing myself and showing myself grace and just doing what I can and just taking really good care of my body. But it's been fucking wild, man. Wow. Well, I'm stoked. You're going to be great. You know, there's no uh, there's no turning back here. No, there's not. I would, But no. what I will say is I recommend public floor therapy to everyone before yeah. you even have the baby. So if you yeah. can go now, just yeah. one or two sessions because, I mean, you know this because you work in the space, but there's just so much that you can do internally in terms of releasing tightness. If you have any sure. like trauma, sexual trauma, um, you know, just trauma to your your vagina or your hips or your back, like it's all connected with the pelvic floor. So getting that taken care of before you go into birth, I feel is just so smart because you can release all of that internally, which will allow you to open up more. Yeah. And I think help you have a better birth experience. And then if you have a strong pelvic floor, your recovery will be so much better. Right. And when you say strong, that doesn't necessarily, that does not equal tight. Mm-mm. So like tight is how you have a really long, potentially painful labor that includes maybe a little bit of tearing or a lot of tearing. And so like really tight, that doesn't mean so it's like mentally strong, like, you know, people who do a lot of yoga, that do a lot of Pilates, that do stuff that like involves their pelvic floor and holding it really tight, that involves kegeling essentially over and over and over again. They a lot of times need help loosening. And so like to have a strong pelvic floor is to be able to relax it as well you know, and, and that, uh, sometimes it's almost counterintuitive. There's times where you want to bear down and you want to be able, but it's like you're bearing down. So you're pushing, but you need it to be relaxed versus I'm bearing down and I'm clenching. And so I think in PT, they help to show you. And so you can feel like, do you feel this muscle? Do you feel this muscle? Okay. Breathe this way. And so I think that, um, you know, and that's just like my general understanding of, of PT. And I've had a couple of um, pelvic floor physical therapists on the show over the years too. So like I'm getting a firsthand like, okay, and then what? Okay, cool. But I think I'm, I'm going to go, I think they don't take you here earlier than maybe 20 some odd weeks, unless you've sneezed and peed. Yeah. There you and go. then they're like, come here, girl. <laughs> <laughs> come on over. Let me feel your vagina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Feel it. Tell me about it. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be in Mexico for like half of July and half of August. So for a month and I think, and I'll be 20 to 24 weeks. So I think I'm going to come back from Mexico and do some sessions so that I like, I can really tr- like really understand what's going on down there. Cause I don't want to have prolapse. And I'm also like very surrendered to my healing, like how this is going to go, however it's going to go. And my healing is going to be my healing, you know, um, just like my journey on the way in, you know, if I could choose not to have a miscarriage on any level, like I could choose not to have had that. But at the same time, that was like an incredible catalyst for the mother that I know that I want to be, you know, without some of those lessons, like sometimes I'm like, God, come on now. Like, it didn't have, I, I swear I would have learned it in a different way, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, that's not how it went down. I got dealt what I was dealt and then dealt with it. And 
you know, it's, I mean, I guess it's just really the type of person that I am decided to look at it as, you know, right, right when it first happened, I was like, there's no beauty in this. There's no greater message or any of that. This just fucking sucks. This is really, really shitty. And then of course, like when the medical intervention type stuff started happening and then that was just like extending my, like when we could try again. And then I was like, I, and I don't know what the reason for this is and how much longer is this going to take? And then, and then I passed the window of, I was still going to be 34 to now, no matter when I get pregnant, I'll at least be 35. And so then that's advanced maternal age by the time of birth, which is like, now I got to put that on my, and you know, you were 35 whenever you had Roe. Yeah. Yep. Right. They and act so like it's you're like, in a fucking walker. I'm like, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. I'm you're fine. you and your geriatric pregnancy. You know? <laughs> Try doing IVF at my age. Oh, it's a whole other world. Really? It's oh like my God. Even, Every really? year it's like your chances drop by 15%. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Get out of here. I mean, well, you, I mean, you guys were able to get, you know, in the IVF world, a sticky baby. Yes. Or I think that's what they say, right? Yeah. I'm fertile myrtle, thank God. So. Well, there you go. Well, you know, because it wasn't anything, right. Well, it wasn't something that you, you weren't dealing with PCOS. You weren't dealing with endometriosis. You weren't dealing with anything going on with your uterus or old eggs or whatever those, the language that they use. I don't know if that's really what it equals to, but, um, or like lack of ovarian reserve, that kind of stuff. Like you weren't dealing with those things. So what an interesting hand you've been dealt in too. It's like any baby has to come through this miraculous scientific revolution yeah. It was like the least special moment ever when we did the transfer. It was maybe 30 seconds. They like wheel in the embryo. It's in like a incubator and you see it on the screen and the doctor comes in and she shoves it inside you and I took a, they give you Valium. So I was like loopy and they put it inside and it's over and it's like, bye. And it's, <laughs> you're, you're poopa, pregnant until proven otherwise. Right? Po- really? Poopo? Poopo. poopo. Sorry, I don't even know the letters. You're poopo. And so for two weeks, you're poopo until they call and tell you you're pregnant or you're not. And oh, I just, man. I remember sitting in there and I was, it was just like so sterile. And it was like, cool. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel special. Luckily the night before Connor and I did a whole ceremony and got woo as fuck and like laid out this beautiful spread of candles and eucalyptus and white flowers. And we both wrote a letter to the baby and like we meditated and we said, we stated our intentions to ourselves and we listened to like ceremony music and we just held each other to like call the baby in and say like, we're ready for you. And then we asked all of our friends, including you to like say prayers. We were like, this is what we're doing. We asked everyone to be involved. And like so many people said their intentions to like call in the baby for us as well. So that's how we made it special. But the dude, IVF blows. <laughs> and if you haven't gone through it, it's okay that I'm telling you this because it's going to be different. You know, it's mm-hmm. not going to be like a normal experience. But I say that because you can make it what you want it to be in every other way. You can make it beautiful. You can make it special. You can make it your own. But I think it's important to know, like, it's not like you're having sex and making yeah. a baby, you yeah. know? Yeah, totally. Have you ever been too much in your head during sex, like racing thoughts that keep you in your head and out of your body and out of your pleasure? Is one of the things that goes through your mind maybe 
laundry. <laughs> like, is this sex worth messing up the bed or having to strip the sheets and or comforter off to put in the wash afterwards? Well, my friend, I've got just the thing to remedy this conundrum. If that's you, it's called a splash blanket. And it's one of my favorite additions to our sexy toy box. Before playtime, we just lay out our splash blanket and we do our thing without worrying if lube or anything else is getting on my fresh bedclothes underneath. It allows for me to relax and for my husband not to worry if I'm worrying about having to do laundry or scrubbing some sort of fluid off the comforter after we finish. We even travel with our smaller blankets because to us, they represent play, sexiness, and fun. And they keep questionable things off the beds in the Airbnbs we rent. And that's worthy of a five-star review, if you ask me. If this sounds like just the thing to add to your collection, you can visit my favorite place to shop for all sexual wellness products, Yoni Pleasure Palace. Bonus, you can use the code THATSEXCHICK, all one word, for 15% off your order. And while you're there, why not check out the crystal and glass wands, natural lubricants, and body safe silicone toys? There's always something new to explore at yonipleasurepalace.com. Uh, feels that. And like how special that you and Connor were able to like understand that enough to be yeah. able to do that and like make it special. Because I think a lot of people just like, and now we're pregnant, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and now, and like it does it maybe is lacking some of that. And for Jordan and I, like, sex. So the window of time between miscarriage and needing to abstain, because first off, I was reading all this information and I was looking for hope, right? And so like after miscarriage, I'm like reading all these things that are like, oh, you're even more fertile after. And I'm like, that doesn't, I don't know how that makes sense, but they did a study, one study somewhere in Europe. And now that's like the thing, like people state this one particular study that was like in Germany that was like, oh, they, they studied all these people that had a miscarriage. And then within three months, they were pregnant with healthy babies. And so it gets quoted a lot. Um, and so looking it up, you know, I would read all these things and they're still, they're all quoting the same study, but I'm like, okay, well, cool. Maybe that is possible. So in the next three, and then I'm like more or less interviewing, not interviewing my friends. So like once, once going through something, and I'm sure like in some level IVF is like this too. I experienced this. And of course, out of all of it, I don't want to diminish my experience. And it's, it, I understand that like out of all of the types of miscarrying I could have had happen to me. This is the one that like, if I had to choose, like the, I was told you're going to do this, choose, you know, this is the one early for it to, for my body to recognize our processing here is not going, it's not up to par. Let's start the process over again. Let it go. We'll start it. We'll, we'll do it again. Yeah. You know, the fact that I wound up with the retained tissue and then needed the shots of methotrexate and all of that, that's, you know, that changed things, of course. But at the time when the miscarriage actually happened, I was like, okay, well, we're just going to jump right back on the horse. You know, like I had like a normal period, basically. Um, it was maybe a little bit thicker in the beginning. And then I thought, okay, well, we'll just do it again. And then I was testing my LH for when my peak was going to be, but it was peaking like high, like within five days six days of the miscarriage. And so I'm like, this is weird. This is too early. Like I, I am very regular. It happens on day 11 or 12 is when my peak, cause I have a, um, a short cycle. So, mm -hmm. you know, most people, if they've got like a 28 to 30 day, their, their peak LH is somewhere around day 14. Mm -hmm. Mine is consistently day 11 or 12. So I have like a pretty healthy luteal phase, which to me, you know, like <laughs> I laugh and, and this is like, okay, thanks, like universe, God, whatever is that for my cycle, I am right back into that window of time 
right before your period where everything is like kind of not okay, I'm there very quickly. So mm. I can get a period and then I'm in my high, my peak fertility, like high fertility within seven to eight days, you know, leading up to the peak at like 11 or so. And then there I am in luteal phase again for 12 how, days, 13 days. How fucking enjoyable is that? Oh yeah. That's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jordan yeah. loves your cycle. <laughs> sure. You know, like when growing up, I would always say, I'm like, oh, but I'm, I'm, I'm on my period. And then I remember having like family members being like, you're always on your period. But really I'd I have one extra, like the amount of days, because mine's like on average 24 to 26 days. I have like one extra one a year than people who have, you know, like I have a friend that is like a consistent 34 days. I'm like, oh, must be nice. Yeah. You get to like spend time in each of the phases. I'm just like, whack, here you are in the next one. Whack, (laughs) oh, 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 it's already time to ovulate again. Quick, get it in. No, so I thought we're just gonna like get started again. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's have sex. And then I'm like, oh, but my LH is still saying peak. Okay. Well, let's just have more sex. So there I am like trying to make it happen after miscarriage. And I'm like having these feelings and I'm like trying to make it happen. And I'm like, you need to let this go. Like you just got to calm down. And then, and then we come to come to find out I actually have retained tissue. And that's why my LH was showing that it was spiking over and over again is because I had retained tissue from the previous pregnancy. So it was technically an incomplete miscarriage that I had to have medical intervention to help it finish. So then when, um, when that happened, then it was like, okay, well now you couldn't get, so pregnant in October, miscarried October, November is incomplete miscarriage. December is shots of methotrexate to help this finish. And then you have to wait one cycle after that. You're advised, wait one cycle. I mean, you've, you've got chemo drugs. To me, I'm like, I've got chemo drugs. I'm not trying to make a baby with like, I'm detoxing chemo drugs. Yeah. I'd like to get this out of my system. Um, and so wait one time. And then it was like the saddest New Year's mm-hmm. because I was like, yeah, it was just sad. It was sad. I'm like, I'm, I'm here. I'm still figuring this out. And I could only try again then in the new year because I was so badly. I wanted to just like, I wanted to have my timeline, the timeline that I that I was like comfortable with. And then he didn't, he didn't, you know? So on the third try after getting the clear, did we actually wind up getting pregnant? And so I was technically pregnant twice in six months. So, so wild. And then what came with it is, um, it was already nerve wracking. Like, oh my God, this is pregnant. Am I going to stay pregnant? Oh, this is interesting. Oh, this is fun. Getting pregnant after pregnancy loss is, I don't wish it on anyone. The amount of anxiety that I experienced early on, like having to sit and calm myself down. You must, Lex, you've got to think of something different constantly. Is the baby okay? Is it, should I tell people what, like just constant, like, is this going to happen again? And then going through all the worst case scenarios, telling myself that I'm going to be okay. If it happens again, it's going to be okay. And like, it was just a total mind fuck. And I would say like at 17 weeks now, it's definitely feeling less and less. I've just started, like barely started to feel like little movement, like little kind of like, I feel like something's inside there and it's kind of bumping around yeah. into like my insides. And so I'm like, okay, you're going to be okay. But then like, then I got to tell myself like day to day, I'm feeling better, but then my mind will go to stillbirth. My mind will go to like every single time I pee, I wipe, I look for blood. And oh, I'm just like every time. I don't think that ever ends, dude. Uh, right. Right. No. And so I'm like, oh, if you to me, I'm like, if you have neurotic tendencies going into going to become pregnant, it's like, hey, here you're gonna deal with your shit. Or or you're literally going to die of anxiety. Yeah. 
you know, like it's, it's crushing. So really what, <laughs> one of the main things like I really wanted to talk to you about just in, in general as like a form of a catch up, but also for the show is what I'm noticing even now, like we wanted this, you know, and it crushed us when pregnancy didn't lead to baby the first go round, and none of my friends had experienced it. I think that's mm-hmm. what I was originally going to say. Like none of my friends had experienced loss. So I didn't have, like I had to like ask other people and like share with other people that this was what we were going through and what was their experience like. Yeah. To and get a lot the right of, kind of support. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, cause my friends were kind of like, and all of them wanting more babies and one of them going to start trying basically around the same time as me, I didn't want to scare anybody. Like I, and they, and they said that I wasn't, but I also was like, really, it was really hard, you know, yeah. like just the whole thing. And so I wound up speaking with a number of people that within, you know, a few months post miscarriage wound up getting pregnant with healthy baby. Mm-hmm. And some of them had even shared that they thought that it was a cleansing. Like it was like the trial run essentially like babies here, they're figuring it out. Body's never tried to do this before, like intentionally tried to do this before. So Let's just make sure all things are firing, you know, on all cylinders. And so when I got that, I was like, oh, we're just going to like try really fast again to do it again. But anyway, so going in and, and going through miscarriage was one thing that I felt that my identity shift in it. I felt it because I was kind of like, not a girl, not yet a woman. Yes. Uh, I'm not like I was pregnant and then not, so not a mom, but not maiden kind of maiden, but definitely not mom yet. Like it was a weird, but never the same. Yeah. Never the same. And also what, what came with that is I'm supposed to be like grateful for every single little thing that happens now. Right. Like I can't complain. I can't talk about how this is actually really hard and, and I'm not sure if I made the right decision. And it's kind of like, I almost hold myself back and shame myself for thinking some of the things that I have thought, you know, like being in multiple weeks of, I feel like I can do nothing. And I'm like feeling so bad, nauseous, tired, hungry, irritable, all these things where I'm just like, after weeks of it, I'm thinking to myself, like, what the fuck did you do? What did you do? You know? And I'm like, is it okay that I think that? No. So in my head, I'm shaming myself on top of the feeling because I wanted this. We wanted this. We tried hard to make this happen in a lot of ways, tried hard in air quotes, you know, like we're surrendered to the process. We said we're ready. And I'm like second guessing it. And now, you know, in conversations that I'm having with Jordan and like our relationship is changing and what we're doing with our lives and our finances and the direction and everything's changing. I'm like, did I ruin our lives? I wanted this more than, and that's, you know, a fucked up thing that happens in my head where I like tell myself, you wanted this more than Jordan did. Like I tell myself that even though he was right there making the baby with me, I'm like, you wanted this more than him and he's going along with it. And now you're ruining his life and he's going to leave, especially if you can't get your shit together. Like, so this all of a sudden this self-deprecating version of myself, like this internal critic that I've spent a lot of time working on. And like, I got her to shut up like a long time ago, pregnant Alexa. She's like, Hey, I'm back. Yeah. I'm moving in. Yeah. And so there's this like in between where I'm like, identities are shifting and things are changing. And I'm like, what do I do with this? And so that, that kind of brings me to like, you know, question of sort is like, what was that experience like for you? And then now you're at, you know, Rose, who's born in January. So she's like five, six months. 
She's six months. Yeah. Crazy. She's halfway to a year. Um, yeah. And, and like the way that you're able to even talk about the birth and everything is, is feeling seemingly more integrated and settled and all that. And I'm just curious what this process has been like the identity changing and shifting and like, tell me some good stuff, you know, like, like, you know, mm. the song, tell me something good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just like, everything, mm-hmm. everything's a song mm-hmm. right now. Um, <laughs> first it's Brittany, you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm really curious. Like it, it's, I get a lot of like, and then your, your butt's going to fall out your vagina. And I'm like, great. And you're all, your whole identity is going to shift. You're not even going to know who you are, but you've got this cool baby. That, that one doesn't land. Like, I want to know like real talk. <laughs> Next advice. Swipe. Nope. Not that one. Yeah, nope, that one. Oh, maybe yeah. a little bit of that. Can I put that with that one? Okay. I'll take that one. <laughs> cool. I'm going to shut up now. So imagine I'm like, what real talk, Kelly? And yeah. like some of the beauty that's come from this. And then I'm just going to write that down mental note, put it in my back pocket and repeat it to myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, while I yeah. go through the rest of this process. Yeah. I mean, your feelings are valid. I want to start there. I think that that's part of the problem for moms, whether it's in loss, in a pregnancy, in birth, in postpartum, not enough people are telling you that your feelings and your experiences are valid. There's nothing wrong with you. And interestingly, you asked me this question right now. I have not spoken about this publicly at all. I am in the middle of a pretty not so great postpartum depression. Ugh. And it's, it's rough, man. Like suicidal thoughts. What is the point of life? What the mm-hmm. fuck did I do? Really out of body, very aggressive hormonal swings. Like right now I feel great. Uh, last night was one of the worst nights of my life. And, you know, thank God for my husband being amazing and aware. It was really hard. And I was holding row yeah. and I felt numb. And I was like, oh no. And I say that because what I think the best advice I can give you is that there are chapters. Just like in life, there are chapters of motherhood. And that initiation starts so soon, right? It starts when you were trying before, when you guys decided I want to get pregnant the first time. And then you go through a miscarriage and that's that chapter and then the healing and then you get pregnant and then you have a horrible first trimester and you're like, all I want is pickles. And now you're like, I feel better. I feel energized. You're in another chapter and it's just going to continue. And I think the thing that I hold on to and the thing that Connor likes to remind me of is that nothing is forever. And there's always, and this is probably annoying to hear for a lot of people, but I really feel that there is something to learn in every chapter for me, and I think for you as well, knowing what I know, so much of the beginning stages of motherhood for us as highly successful women in many ways in our lives, we needed to slow the fuck down, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, cool, I'm puking every day. Why are we doing this? Slow down. Cool. I am trying to do everything. I'm restructuring Soulfire. I transition one person out. Bryn is now our director of growth. Yay. She's fucking amazing. But we're like doing so much. I took that on. I brought the show back. I'm launching my own programs. And then I get hit with something I never thought I would deal with at almost six months postpartum depression. And this like deep sadness and this loss of identity and this some days where I'm just like, I don't have it. Like I ain't got it today. Mm -hmm. And what I know is like, in every one of those things, it's like, but what is it that I need to see? Like, 
it's always something for me to take for me, which is slow the fuck down, Kelly. Stop trying to do everything and be everything and have like this ravenous sex life with your husband while also trying to be a mom and not sleeping at night because you just got through the four month sleep regression and this and that and restructure your company and train this person and also launch group programs. I'm like, what? why am I doing this? Like, I'm just reverting back to old patterns and insecurities of like, but if I'm not doing, then who am I? Yeah. And so for me, I really feel like this is a gift of I feel crazy sometimes and I feel out of body, but I also, it's a reminder that I have to take care of myself. I have to take care of myself and I'm not always going to feel this way. And I know that because I felt like this during IVF. I wanted to jump off a bridge. It was the worst experience of my life. I remember. And it feels very similar to that. And I know that I'm just going through a hormonal shift right now that is being really like made more difficult because I haven't been sleeping. So I'm like, okay, if I get more sleep, my hormones will calm down and then I'll feel better. But I have to take care of myself and I have to not try and do everything. And I have to not work all day, every day and be on my phone. Last night I looked at Connor. I'm like, I'm back on my phone 24 seven. You know, and so I think to answer your question is one chapters, like it's every, every single thing is going to be a new chapter and there's always something for you in that. And the more you can take care of yourself, whether you feel great or you feel like shit, either way, the more you can focus on you and taking care of you, the better. And then just realizing that the baby for me, like Roe is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I've never been happier. And there's duality and there's going to be duality in motherhood for the rest of our lives. I'm not an expert. I've been doing this for six fucking months. But what I know to be true is that I can be questioning, oh my God, what the fuck did I do? While also (laughs) never being happier. Like I'm so happy. And I'm also like, damn, (laughs) my life looks a lot different. You know, we had to like make plans three weeks in advance to go out to dinner tomorrow night to make sure we had the nanny to come for three hours so we could go out. That's not how we ever lived. We were just like, let's go do a thing. And yeah, I just think that it's important to take care of yourself, to understand there's chapters and to just realize that it's the best thing that's ever going to happen to you, knowing you like you're just going to be so happy and you're also going to have other things that come along with it and there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. I thought that that's sort of what you were looking for. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And it was. Yeah. You know how it goes. Yeah. You know? Well, because we, I think a lot of people from the outside looking in saw you have Roe and then saw you kind of blossom in this interesting, new and unique way. And some of the ways that you were showing up and speaking and you, you felt very, on fire. And of course I'm not able to see which putting out into the world in the current moment. Cause I don't, I'm in Instagram jail, but, yeah. um, from before I'm like, you know, and you're doing your workouts and you're, and so, and, and, and it can be on an illusion. Social media is not all the way real, you know, even for those of us that like really try to be super authentic and share what's really going on. I think people still look at it as their life is so perfect. Like literally I'm typing, I hate everything about my life right now. And people are like, oh, you're doing so great. I wish I could be like you. I'm like, are you not reading the words that are coming out of my fingertips that I'm hitting post on? You know, like there's still this like idea that like, oh, I'm going through a hard thing, but she's going through a hard time easier than I would go through a hard thing. Right. You know, which is kind of, well, it's just strange. But I think here's the thing that I 
I told this to a couple people. I'm so glad I did ayahuasca before I had a baby. Like, I'm so glad I have done the work. I'm so glad I've done a lot of mushrooms. So glad that I have done somatic therapy and worked through my trauma. And I relived my birth during my first ayahuasca ceremony. And I healed stuff with my mom. And like, you name it, I did so much before. And I was even telling Connor, I said, as much as I hated IVF, it was the worst experience ever. I said to him last night, I'm so glad that I had that experience so that right now I am able to actually see this was fucking crazy. I came to him and I said, my rational mind knows that I don't feel this way. My rational mind knows that I'm okay and that I'm very happy and my life is good and that I love my daughter and we're, we're good. You and I are good. I said, but this other thing happening right now is not rational and that's who I need you to listen to and I need you to work with her. Had I not gone through the IVF experience of having crazy hormones in my body, I wouldn't be able to have that awareness. It was like I was above myself last night looking at two different people in the same body saying, okay, she's having that experience and she's having that experience. This one is out of control. So we need to stabilize her and ground her and bring her back. The other one we'll get to. And I'm her today. I'm like grounded and fine and I feel great. Yeah. And so I think that to your point, people see us and they're like, well, she's handling it so well. You and I and many of the people in our lives mm -hmm. are extremely resourced and we've worked very hard to be able to deal with adversity and to, you know, handle it and, and approach it head on. And like you said, surrender to what's coming forward. Talk to me five years ago. My God, I would not be doing it like this. I, I didn't have the ability to. I was yeah. not self-aware enough. I hadn't done the work. I wasn't willing to surrender. I was a freaking control freak. And I was not stable in a lot of ways. I didn't take care of myself. It was just a totally different version of me. And so I do think that people probably project that onto you because they're like, wow, she's handling this so well because I wouldn't even know how to do that. But when you're in it and you feel like a crazy person and you hate your life, but you're pregnant and you're super happy to be pregnant, you're like, I'm a terrible person and I am not resourced right now and I fucking right. suck. So it's hard. Right. And to also you're a thought leader and you are you are someone who trailblazes and you set the example. And that's also a lot of pressure. And that's also why I haven't spoken about this publicly. It's really been the last week that I have realized I'm going through this. And I feel pressure to be able to articulate it in a way that is not from a place of chaos. I want to come at it from a place of groundedness and awareness within my body of like, oh, this is what's happening. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on people like us who share our lives so openly to be like, well, what's, what's the right way to articulate this? And how do I come at this to share and to be open like you did with your pregnancy loss story and getting pregnant again and all of that, but to also not put undue stuff on other people that's not for them and then take on their shit that they project on me at the same time. Totally. Yeah. <sighs> Big life. Mm -hmm. And I feel so, I feel so grateful. And I've been reminding myself of a lot of those things too, that like I've done a lot of work and to be able to say that, you know, it was just a couple of nights ago, like Jordan and I moved out to Dripping Springs in Texas, you know, just outside of Austin. And we moved out here and there's a lot of questions. And we decided to rent because we weren't sure if we wanted to stay this 
distance outside of the city, but our friends are out here. So we rented. And then our, of course, it would be, it would happen this way that uh, our lease is, we moved in like two days before Thanksgiving. So it was like the 22nd or 23rd of November. And our babies do, depending on when you calculate it, either December 9th or December 12th. So literally two weeks later. So there's, there was a possibility and, and maybe two months into our lease here where we are, we get a message from um, the owner of the house that says, Hey, is there any, by any chance, would you move out? We had just moved in. Oh my God. And he was like, you know, me and whatever, blah, 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 drama in his life would like to move back in. And we were like, if you pay us $50,000. You know, like we were like, here's yeah. how much this costs us to actually move and take our time and how much it costs to like have the movers come and all the things. We were like, no fucking way. Like we wanted to say like an, kind of an, like a stupid amount. And so it was like, no, he kind of tried to meet us in the middle. And we were like, really, we, we don't. We want to just ride this out. Like we just moved in. And so we were operating under the understanding that he was going to want to move back in as soon as he could when the lease was up. So we started the process of like, we got to find a house. And neither of us wanted to move into a house that we didn't own after this one. And so we started the process of like getting our shit together, which we've started the process a few times and then decided to try different things out. And thank goodness we haven't bought up to this point because we keep trying different things on. And it would just be way more complicated. Like if we owned where we are to know that this is a little bit too far. We'd kind of like to be at least 15 minutes closer to the city. There's three traffic lights that we want to be on the other side of them. That is like a non-negotiable when we move from, from where we're where we are now, because this little town outside of Austin gets big traffic at time at certain times in the day. And it's, it just makes like a 35 minute drive into the city, like a 55 minute drive into the city. And so we just are like, we want to be on the other side of these things. Anyway, so now we're we're like going through this process and we're trying really hard to be like excited and feel this kind of way about it. And also like one of the reasons why we're not doing a home birth is because I don't know where home's gonna be. Yeah. And the feeling of not knowing where home is is very unsettling to me. I wanna know where I'm giving birth. I'm not really like I'm not opposed to hospital, but I'm also not going for hospital. So we wound up choosing the birthing center um, here, which is run by midwives. And, you know, I'm in Austin. So you throw a stone and you hit a midwife or a doula here. Like it's there's just I have a lot of options here. And so we chose that that way we could know where we're going, you know, where we are now compared to the hospital that I would want to go to is at least 35 to 40 minutes, potentially the 50 plus minute drive with traffic. And so the birthing center is less than 10 minutes from the one that I would want to go to. It's like seven minutes away from the hospital that I would want to go to. And it's like four minutes around the corner to the nearest hospital if there was an actual emergency that I needed. But, you know, that's like so highly unlikely. Um, Anyway, so that's also factoring into like our process here and Jordan and I needing to make really big decisions for our lives and for our families and who we are in these decisions and in these conversations, they're just different versions of ourselves. And I feel weird to myself and he feels weird to me because like he's got his own process and like becoming dad and maturing. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this because he's like kind of in this like weird void as well, but also needing to like keep it together because I'm emotional. 
And so then I like the idea that like we could be going through this and I couldn't zoom out and say, you're okay. And this is weird. Mm -hmm. And here are your tools. And here's where you actively chose to avoid the tools and then not use the tools and then go to your phone and form that habit again, you know, and we've already been through this. We know how to not shame ourselves. So let's go ahead and take that back and like rearrange the landscape, the emotional internal landscape. I can't imagine going through what we're going through now, not having any of that. And to know that the vast majority of people on the planet are that they don't have any form of self-regulation, self-awareness, personal responsibility, removing themselves from the victim position, being able to have a certain level of communication and conversation. Like they're just simply not able to. And if I were to have gone through this, let's say eight years ago, nine years ago, like right before I started this journey, like you were saying, this would be a very different situation. And I like, if I, if I just play the scenario game to myself eight, nine years ago, that's scary to me, you know, like really scary to me because of the, the challenges that I've had with not necessarily depression, depressive times, like a couple days at a time where, you know, that kind of thing, but anxiety. It's mostly mm-hmm. anxiety, fear, fear, like just riddled with fear and control and like so bad. And I'm like, who taught me this? Like I go home and I'm like, which one of you bitches taught me this? Like what's happening here? You know? And I'm like, or did I just learn this on my own? Like, was this just my karma that I'm going to like be this crazy neurotic asshole sometimes? Yeah. Well, and I think that is part of it. You know, I, I always talk about this book. I say it's my Bible called Journey of Souls. And the book like lays out basically what happens before your soul comes down here to have a human experience. And it's written by this um, hypnotherapist in the 80s, I think, 70s, 80s. And he basically chronicles all these interviews he does with his clients, patients, while he's hypnotizing them in their therapy sessions. And they all say the same thing about what it's like for their soul to then come down and choose. And you get to like look at all the different paths you can take and all the lessons and Alexa and I were lovers in the past life and now we're friends. And then in the next one, she's going to be my mom because we have to learn all these certain lessons. And they use the same verbiage, the same lingo. And so it's just this beautiful, it's a beautiful book that I think takes a lot of pressure off of us to realize that we are here to learn lessons. I do believe that babies choose us to be their parents, that we choose to be their parents, the whole thing. It's all on purpose in my world and in my belief system. I believe in reincarnation, all of that. And so I think when you can take a step back and look at it from that lens, especially when you are feeling chaotic and out of control, it's like, oh, I chose this and I chose this for a reason. And it fucking sucks right now, but I knew it was going to suck because I get to learn this lesson and I get to become a, you know, more, a higher version of myself or whatever, however you want to phrase it. It takes pressure off of me and my humanness, knowing that there is a higher purpose and a higher reason for everything that's happening. And I do think that especially during pregnancy, as you're going through a portal, you're being birthed as your baby is being birthed. You will never be the same. Jordan will never be the same. And it is weird and it is off sometimes and it doesn't make sense. And you're like, who are you? Who am I? Why does our relationship look like this? This is weird. Like nothing makes sense. And it's also the restructuring, the repatterning, the reprioritizing in the process is the coolest thing ever. Because to me, 
I just don't care about so many things that I cared about before. Being a mom is the easiest thing I've ever done. It's the least anxiety I've ever experienced. It's just like, it just flows. I know what I'm doing. Even when I don't know what I'm doing, I know what I'm doing. It just Mm -hmm. feels incredible. I'm like on purpose. And so then it kind of gets rid of all the noise and all the other stuff. And it allows you to really focus on what you need. And I think that's the other thing is that if you are available to it, you can ask for help and you get to learn how to receive as a woman, especially from other women in a totally new way. And it can be so magical and so healing and just really profound to also have your child experience that level of reception of like, oh, mom's being taken care of and mom feels good because of that. And mom's cup is being filled while she's also giving to me rather than living with a depleted mom. I mean, look, I'm depleted in a lot of ways, but I also have a very full cup and I have a lot of help from friends and my husband and the nanny and family and all of that. And I've gotten really good at asking for help because I know that's part of my lesson in all of this. And I know that slowing down is important. So I don't know. I just wanted to offer that because I think that it can get like really fucking weird. And you're like, what is my life? And it's the best thing that will ever happen to you. I heard someone like kind of paraphrase it. I don't know who who like where this originally comes from. And I might not do it justice, but it is something about like children will ruin your lives and then turn them into something better. Yeah. You're like, oh, great. You know, sounds like like the ultimate psychedelic trip. It literally is. Connor uh, and I, neither of us have ever been more happy, more fulfilled, more on purpose. Our sex is better. Our connection is deeper. Our ability to communicate is next level. We feel a bond unlike anything else. And we fight still and we want to punch each other in the face. And we move through things so much faster. And there's just something that is guiding us now. Mm -hmm. and. It is a really beautiful experience and it's caused us to have a little, a lot of hard conversations about where we live and what we do for work and how we show up in the world. And it's like, there's something bigger than us and beyond us. And we're creating something more magical than we ever thought of that's outside of us and from us. So yeah, I really do. I believe that. Yeah, I believe it too. And I'm, and I'm stoked, you know, it's, I've described it so far, this is how I describe it to myself. And I don't know, I've probably said this on a podcast at some point, but this is how I describe it to myself. So before Jordan and I got together, before I turned 30, I'd been to 79 countries. I went to college. I got my degree. I decided to travel. I lived on cruise ships. I had a lot of sex. I mean, I had lots of different relationships too. Like I had my share of like longer term relationships, anywhere from three to four years. Um, So I had, I knew I did the relationship thing. I did the fucking around thing. I did the exploration. I was very curious about myself. I was very curious about the world. I swung my pendulum in either direction over and over and over again and reinvented myself and um, and then eventually got to Jordan and then was like, oh, you're the one that I, I mean, I know, I've said this many want. times. You are <laughs> the one I want. Another one. <laughs> Exactly. Well, when I looked at him and I was like, I had, I had a God moment where I'm like, really God, this one, this golden vanilla, like California boy. Really? Are you sure I'm not going to find a dark brooding type? Are you sure? Um, no, that would be way too much of a, he he would turn into the man who ties you up and gets you down uh, on your knees. Yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. (laughs) Or is that only for Instagram photo shoots? (laughs) 
No, it's just been learned. It's been learned. He didn't arrive yeah. on my doorstep yeah. <laughs> with rope in his hand, you know? Like, Damn, so I laugh about it because like it, it, yeah. I mean, I've had that experience too, you know, where I like open yeah. the door and I'm like, oh fuck. Right. So like, I've just done a lot in my life. Like, that's basically what I'm saying is like, I've done a lot of things in my life. And, and like what really put it into perspective is when COVID happened, when COVID happened and then like lockdowns happened. And then it was like, you know, all the uh, neurotics unite where we're all like life will never be the same. And what if we never get to travel? And if we like all these things, like, like the joys of life, a significant portion of them are now not available. Connection, community, travel, all these things. And so I had a moment when that was happening where it was like the, the, I kind of felt like I almost wanted to get anxious about it, about all the things I never got to do. And then I watched Jordan who did have a little bit of that because he hadn't traveled as much and hadn't done as much. And then th that, that confliction of like, but I haven't done all the things that I want to do in life. Like, I think people get to that point right before they have kids too, or they have, they choose to have kids and then they find themselves there. They're like, what else could my life have been like? you know, but here I am now I'm stuck. Like when COVID happened, I felt that come up. And then I went, Oh no, you did it all. All the things that people say, you built a business, mm -hmm. you self-expressed, you individuated you. And like, I am, I went through it. You traveled, you, all these things that I went, Oh, you're actually okay. Like, Holy shit. You're okay. So when it came time to like do the marriage thing, and then really not even just the marriage thing, when it came time to like, let's do the family thing, how it registers in me is this is my next great adventure. This is the thing I haven't done. This is, I've found so much purpose and passion and faith and all these things and, and so many other categories and areas of life in general. And I haven't done it here. And so this is to me, when I look at it, I'm like, this is my next great adventure. This is the thing that I haven't done yet. And so I use that in a lot of ways to, I think, soothe me, like to soothe where I am and what I'm doing. And I feel very surrendered to it. So like, it feels really good to hear you say, and then mothering is the easiest thing that I've ever done because I feel that way inside of myself already. I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, in my friend group, they all started having babies and a number of them had a baby and had, could count on one hand how many times they changed a diaper in their lives. Slash some of them, their baby was the first one where I'm like, you guys didn't babysit, you know? Oh, you people with two parents with enough money didn't have side jobs, yeah. you know, like didn't have, you know, weren't hustling on the side. Like I noticed the times when like actually being the daughter of, you know, the kid of a single parent where I'm like, oh, I actually have built resilience. And I've got like a, like, oh, this actually wound up serving me in some ways where I'm like, oh yeah, I babysat. I worked at restaurants. I was working before I was even like the age, like I was getting paid cash under the table because I was like 16, 15 and a half, 16, you know? And um, so it came in handy where I'm like, oh, I've changed lots of diapers. I've worked with lots of kids. I did go through a phase where I was like, I'm not going to have kids and I hate them. And why would anyone ever do that? Because they ruin, they ruin your life and you can't sleep anymore and you don't get to travel and you can't just do what you want. And it was all selfish and bullshit. And, but anyway, I got over that hard pendulum swinging. Right. And so I'm like, I've actually spent a lot of time around kids and I'm pretty comfortable with them. Like I easily handle them, easily change them, easily like can read what's going on and those kinds of things. And so, you know, us going through this process, like my friends reflect back to me, you're the one that's most likely to succeed, yeah. you know, like they're like, it feels good. I know your friends. That's, that's saying something. <laughs> right. Right. Well, they're like, well, because Aunt Lex comes in and just like starts doing stuff. 
You know, mm-hmm. like I just feel confident. I'm like, give me your baby. We'll figure it out. You know, if you've got preferences, tell me, but otherwise I'm just going to figure it out. And I watched them with each other's babies at first. And they're like, you know, like go to pick them up. And they're like, what do I do? Yeah, it's clunky. Like, can you feed them a bottle? How do I hold it? How do I change them? Like the baby makes a sound and they're like immediately handing it back to the, to the parent. And I'm like, <laughs> change position. I'm like, do a little burp, do a little this, do it. You know, like just get creative with it. And so. I'm, I'm like excited for what that's going to shake out, you know, like what the, what does that look like for me when it's my kid, you know, mm-hmm. and, and hearing you say like, it's the easiest thing. Okay. So cool. So the stuff that I'm actually stressed about, like with work and business, and are we ever going to create something that's sustainable? And are we ever going to create that physical product? I want to write a book, like all that stuff's just going to continue being the mind fuck that it is probably. Yeah. I mean, I think that it reprioritizes what you want and like right now I have wait lists for things because as much as I would love to put these things into the world and they feel like my calling in so many ways of how I'm of service, I know now is not the time. And it allows you to structure things in a way of being a mom is my number one priority, period, no matter what. And so how does the rest of my life fit in? It's not how does Roe fit in? How does being a mom fit in? It's how does everything else fit into me being a mom and showing up the way I want to show up as a parent and allowing her to have the life that I want for her. And so I think it almost makes it easier. It takes a little bit of the stress off. And I do feel like it's uncomfortable in ways because that's not how I've ever operated. And because it's so easy to be her mom, I'm okay letting things go because it doesn't matter to me as much. I'm like, I'm so on fire as her mother and getting to play with her and soothe her and be with her and take care of her and love her that nothing makes me as happy as that. And I know that that's not everyone's experience and it's okay if it's not. But for me, it feels really organic and natural to have that. And I also think that the things that you're worried about now could look totally different after he comes and the things that you care about and are like, I have to do, like, you might not want to write a book after he's born. Like if you don't start it now and you have the baby and you're like, fuck it, I actually don't even care to put that into the world anymore because I actually care more about this or I don't want to work or what it could be a myriad of things. If we can give ourselves permission to change our minds and to ebb and flow with the chapters of life that come with motherhood. I feel like we are so much more set up for success than being rigid and trying to plan things and say, I'm going to do this here and this like this, and then I'm going to make this happen. It's like, but you're missing the point. The point is to be present to your life and in the transition of your identity and who you are becoming and allowing things to come to you, energetically attracting what you're meant for in the next version of you. And allowing your baby to lead in that way. There is something deeply profound about that that I think so much of us miss out on because we're so hell-bent on being in control and scheduling and making shit happen. That's not what we have to do anymore. It's it's not what we ever had to do. But this is your permission slip to really reinvent yourself in the way you show up in the world. Yeah, and it sounds like especially initial stages of motherhood is the clean slate. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like, okay, well, it's all just unraveled all over the floor. You know, and there's a part of your vagina over there and, you know, your boobs aren't yours and they're over there. And it's like everything's all over the place, you know, mm-hmm. and like there's your hair that's fallen out now and so there and 
components of your physical and and spiritual and energetic and all the things. And it's like, okay, well, what am I going to like put piece this back together? Um, hopefully when I piece it back together, it's like a really, um, artistic, beautiful Andy Warhol collage where it's just like, Oh, look at how that was strategically and like effortlessly just put back together. But it's probably, yeah. um, going to look like, I don't know, like a six-year-old did it for a little while. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's going to be a stick figure for a hot minute. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's okay. wow, like way too much glue. Um, yeah, yeah we'll figure it out. Kelly, I like had a plan for the show, but like didn't really have a plan for the show because I just want to talk to you. I was like, you know what? Actually, there's not very many people that I could have come on and us mostly catch up. And I know that in a conversation with you, it's, it's very similar. Bryn and I used to have conversations when she, when she would come into work and I'd be like, we needed to record that, you know, where it's, it's filled with so much personal story and relating and authentically relating. And then also filled with gems of wisdom. And not that I'm like, I'm anybody's guru, but I've been, I've been dedicated to this work. And I know you've been dedicated to your work and what the work looks like for you and your family and all that for a long ass time. So anyone listening to the way that we communicate and the way that we show up or look at things like has something to, you know, some kind of wisdom to glean through just listening. And so my hope was that um, coming onto the show, us having a chat was going to flow in that way where, you know, sometimes the podcast, if I don't know the person all that well, and I've just like scoped them out on Instagram or read their PR pitch a little and some of the questions and whatever. And then I think people can tell, they can tell that like, I'm getting to know that person while we're recording the show. So this kind of conversation isn't really available. And so, yeah, I, I love how this was just really raw and really real. And thank you. We got two Kelly exclusives that you were like, I, I love when you do that. It's a little bit of a strategy move and I'm into it. I think, I don't know if you know it, where you're like, I don't know if I've told this to anyone and everyone's like <gasps> holding their breath on the edge of their seat. What has she never shared before? And it's like, yeah. you heard it first folks on that sex chick. That's um, right. Yeah. But you know, our episode women who date men and fuck women or women who fuck women and date men, I think is what the, what we titled that one way back in whenever you came onto the show the first time. I don't even know if you were pregnant. I don't even think you were pregnant then. No, that was pre-pregnancy. Yeah. It's still one of our like top five or top 10 shows. Like people really, really get down with when Kelly opens her mouth and stuff comes out, they're like preach, you know? So I mean, I'm, I'm still fucking women. So if anyone's wondering, <laughs> <laughs> And still married to a man, you know, I don't think Connor's changed anything. He seems to be like my husband vehemently opposed to the like changing of the gender thing for himself, certainly. Um, Yes. Maybe even for (laughs) others. But anyway, uh, God, God love our husbands. Um, So anyway, yeah. Thank you for coming on to the show. And of course, just delivering something that's unique and different than, you know, what, what our listeners typically get to listen to. And I just love you. I love your little family and I love how raw and real you are. And I love your, your journey. And, and I hope that what, however life shakes out in the not too distant future, we get to see each other more. We get to support each other a little bit more. And I just, I just got to get my hands on row. I just like, I give know. me that baby at some point. I, I just like need it. I just need to be with that baby. I know. So, we'll make at it some happen. Point. Yeah. I know. I, I love really you. Do. Thank you for having me. This was really special. And thank you for creating the space where I felt safe to share some of those things. I mean, I haven't even told most of my friends what I'm going through and 
just started kind of planting seeds because it's hard sometimes, you know, but I think that these conversations are so important and it's why you and I do the work we do because we don't want women to shame themselves, whether it's for their desires or for their mental health or anything they're going through. And I think the more we can normalize what life is and the nuances of every experience we have and show ourselves grace and also show the power of sisterhood and the power of showing up for each other. I just feel like that's what actually changes the world. That's what shifts the paradigm and the narrative that we've been taught, you know, for so long. So, you know, I love your show and I'm so grateful that we get to be a part of this and just thank you for the work that you do and the way you're showing up in your experience right now. And I just love you and I can't wait to be around you. Hey, thank you. I love you too. You know, we're just two chicks figuring it the fuck out. We should have a podcast called Two Chicks Just Figuring It the Fuck Out. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. Just add it to the, just add that to the wait list. Yes. If exactly. you would listen to that, then subscribe to the wait list. Anyway. Exactly. All right, Kelly. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. I love you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.